0: powerful inspiration by positive people, cold coffee. Hi, welcome to this episode of Cold Coffee. I am Sarah.
1: And I'm James.
0: And this is our stories, or we share stories of how people just like you and I have overcome adversities and challenges in their lives. Powerful inspiration by positive people. Now, have you noticed something about me today, James? No. You've not noticed anything no. at all? So have you not noticed that I bre- I blend in with our brand?
1: Oh, you do, yes.
0: <laughs> that I've got the orange and blue on just to blend in mm. with the background.
1: Have you noticed that I don't?
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I just thought you hadn't even observed that at all, had you? No, no. <laughs>
2: I've got the blue top on as well to so help. <laughs> yeah. well, there you go. You yeah, we're nearly out. there. Then. <laughs>
0: yeah. Actually, okay. It was completely unintentional. I just got up and got dressed, and then thought, "Oh, I just blend in with our with our black, black brand background." I clearly can't speak today either.
1: Anyway, today we have. <laughs> well, let you introduce yourself, Marcus.
2: Okay. Good morning. I'm Marcus Tomlinson, uh, founder of the Mindset Revolution, and one or two other things. And I'm very excited and privileged to be invited onto your podcast today.
0: Oh, We're so excited to have you here, Marcus. We really are. You've got <laughs> such an interesting story to share. So as always, we're going to do this in two parts. So the first part will um, be sharing Marcus's story um, about the adversity of the challenges. And part two will be more about the transformation more about how uh, Marcus obviously overcame that in a a bigger way but there's lots of lots to this story so we can't wait to get stuck in. So Marcus let's start with um, you were telling us on our you know little chat to get to know you about your life in Belfast so we'll start the story there.
2: Yes indeed it was kind of my first memories. so uh, weirdly we moved to Belfast in gosh it would be the late 60s um and it was not because as most people think my father was in the armed forces it's because my mother was a wayward hairdresser <laughs> 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 so uh, uh she was actually really good at her job apparently and she was set up in, in a salon she went out first into uh, belfast and then uh, lisburn just down the road as opposed to lisbon um and so, yeah, I found myself going to my first primary school or preschool, I think we now call it, uh, in a little village outside of Belfast, so-called Lisbon. And so when I first started, started talking, I guess I had a, a Northern Irish accent.
0: Yeah, um, I was thinking about that, actually, when uh, this morning I was thinking, well, you don't have an accent, do you, at all? So, well, not I, hear, yeah. I don't hear an accent <laughs> there now. Have you changed that purposely? Um.
2: I think it's because I never lived anywhere for more than two years, and if I meet someone, because my mother always kind of uh, she hung uh, hung on to the accent, but if I've had a drink and someone's from Belfast, I'll start talking like uh, like they. So i do. I'll, I'll I'll pronounce stuff slightly differently, and I'll just go into this weird morphed accent. So you are, <laughs> and it's like, why am I doing that? I, why am I? It feels like I'm taking the Mickey, but it, it's a throwback to my my first dialect of strong accent and then we lived in manchester belfast as is what i'm talking about belfast london in the north in harrogate for many many years and all over the place so i kind of morphed into this it's not i'd say it's middle england with a northern twang right? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, Love the accent, it. yeah
0: So tell us more about your life as a child, you know, and sort of living in Belfast and um, yeah, life with your mother.
2: So uh, mother was an interesting character. Um, uh, I didn't know then she was pretty much an alcoholic most of her life and she was quite a wayward mother. So I would uh, often come home from school and it was 50 50 if there was any any food or she was even there. And this was even at the age of kind of five ish um in fact she was I forgot till we started talking the other day uh she was first reported to the NSPCC oh, wow. when I was five <laughs> so that just and, and you had to go some to get reported in those days it's not yeah, like that. yeah um so and I'm laughing because you know there's lots of positives to come out of all this uh but yeah because she frequently left me alone um now the the first part of the story was it was something euphemistically called the Troubles in Northern Ireland, and one of my first ever memories was going into Belfast to go shopping uh, with mother, and I think it was my auntie Pam, I'm not too sure, uh, and we're driving down one of the roads, and right in front of the bus, a car bomb goes off. And and I, the things I remember were the, the after sound. I don't really remember the explosion, if I'm honest, but I just remember the silence and the kind of that almost you've got your fingers in your ears type feeling. And then I remember there was sort of flames and sort of carnage and people running. And the the bit that sticks in my memory was I looked out of the bus window and the uh, the, the windows hadn't broken. I think they've turned them into perspex then because there've been so many car bombings. Um and I looked out and I saw a really one a foot, a human foot, no nobody attached to it. But it was like a plimsoll a white plimsoll as we would have called it back then and the unusual thing about the memory is how white and clean that was amongst all of the carnage so i didn't focus on the foot but the fact hey there's a separate foot there i didn't so much focus on the i want to say the screaming and kind of the, the situation it was just wow there's a really white clean thing amongst all this 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 craziness so there was something I learned in later years that your brain does this it has a way of trying to either cut stuff out or give you a better memory of a really traumatic situation so that was bomb number one if you like, Do you um, think that's like a,
0: so is that like a protective mechanism yeah, of, of yeah. Sorts? okay
2: I, I in later life I, I studied psychology and and still read about this as often as I can And, yeah, there's a process that if you have a traumatic event, the brain can either shut it out completely, so you have almost no memory of it whatsoever, uh, or it can give you a a safer version of the events. I mean, it can also give you you – some people get horrific flashbacks, don't get me wrong. Some people have the event, and and they they have a different takeaway. But for most of us, there's this mechanism that kicks in and goes, hey, forget all of the craziness going around. There's a really white shoe,
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and that's –
2: or I've chosen, yeah, and um, I've you know the other thing is I've chosen to hang on to that memory as the moment. So you know you, there's different methodologies at work. Of course, memories are really fickle things as well. You know the reality yeah. that happened on that day could be very different to to what my takeaway was. I've I've learned in later life, but that's that's the safe memory. And I remember all of I, I remember I feel like I remember what looked like an oil drum burning but i think it was part of the car um and some flames and and you do wonder in later life what have i put onto this you know what what have i changed to make it feel better and and the truth is i i don't know but the 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 powerful memory really clean plimsoll you know we'd call it a training shoe but they they weren't trainers then so that (laughs) that was bomb number one Uh, I was unharmed um, to, to all intents and purposes. Uh, then we go back to maybe the story of the mother, if you like, who was uh, a bit wayward, and she'd often go out uh, and leave me alone at night, uh, frequently without a babysitter. Now, we'd moved uh, to there's a, the, some barracks in Belfast, uh, quite famous overlooking, sorry, in Lisbon, overlooking the park. We were in some Victorian houses to looking at it to the left of that. The ground floor was a cafe. Then the next two floors were our hairdressing salon. And then the top floor was the flat where we lived. And for whatever reason, the IRA decided to plant a firebomb in the cafe on the ground floor. Now, Mother wasn't supposed to be out that night, but anyway, she was. Uh, Bomb goes off, and I'm then rescued by the army so my kind of memory of this there's the police the ambulance the fire but of course the army were were called in as they were at that time and it was great it was just such an exciting evening because i'm roughly maybe a six-year-old boy at this point and some army guys come and rescue they put me in a big blanket i get to go in the back of this army land rover which was great so i'm being evacuated and i'm getting loads of attention off these guys who were you know vaguely remember them being really friendly and then carted off to a local hotel while they go off and find mother and it gets even better because I get to go into the hotel lounge and I'm given this drink um with a a, a cherry on top and a, a cherry on a sword and these are my <laughs> takeaways you know like a little kid like a cocktail stick in the shape of a plastic sword so I can still visualize this great thing if I'm in this lovely place and I'm, i enough time in my life so instead of the bad memory that i've just been blown up <laughs> i mean i wasn't again I wasn't physically hurt um however this particular event um as you might imagine was a uh, mother being absent th- that was also part of the whole nsbc thing because of course uh, it was very very obvious she probably wasn't doing her best motherly duty
0: so how, how did that make you feel Oh, did you? I guess you didn't. Did you just not know any difference? So
2: you know, well, you know, people say oh, it must have been awful. It must have been terrible. Well, no, not really. What you've never had, you've never missed. No. I wasn't, um, you know, coming home and, and again, these are vague memories. You know, so a young age, was, you know, I'd get sandwiches. I wouldn't get sandwiches. I do vaguely remember sometimes being a bit hungry and thinking, oh, that's not great. But I'd always get fed at school, so that was all right. And it wasn't. There was no. In my memory, there was no real animosity. It was just stuff that happened. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, I um, completely understand that.
2: So yeah. basically, it was normal for you. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It was. It's what you know. You you mm. you can't compare something, and you can't miss a way of life you've never had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and as we maybe tell some of the other stories, what became really interesting later on in life is is the how stuff got shifted in my mindset as to things were kind of okay so i came out of all that with stories to tell um we we moved back to um uh the uk now what was interesting about that years later i discovered that the guy who planted the bomb was my mother's boyfriend yeah because he was in the ira
0: (laughs) Now That was the reason he planted it as well, wasn't there? That was the reason,
2: yeah, because he wanted to come back to the UK under the radar. And so coming back with a a woman and her son raised less questions. uh, My Uncle Tom, as he was so called. Uh, So, yeah, he got to come back to the UK uh, with her. And then I think I started to suspect that our life at the time was a little unusual because... When he came back we had a different car every week sometimes we had a car sometimes we didn't have a car um there was lots of screaming and shouting and and so i went to my first opening of a nightclub, for example <laughs> of being about seven or eight again not too certain but again that was a great experience because there were parrots it was called the ballet high still remember it to this day um and there was little fountains but my mother thought it was a great thing to take me to the opening of a nightclub and it was kind of fun yes. to sit at the bar with all these crazy people they were really quite bad dodgy people it turned out in hindsight because being uh, uh being a terrorist you don't tend to mix with the uh the, the nicest people in life yeah. and um so yeah so that again these if you said that someone's taking their child to a nightclub at the age of seven or eight you you'd be oh, what's going on how very mm. dare you! But yeah, I got I got parrots. I, you know, how many kids of seven or eight had parrots on their shoulder? She and <laughs> <laughs> different sort of weird views. <clears throat> yeah,
0: However, wasn't all, the, it wasn't all good memories, though, was it?
2: No, not at all. The dark <laughs> side of all this was um, I, I used to get taken after school to this illegal drinking den, um, which was called the uh, the nickname in later years was called the Yellow Welly called the wanderer's social club um, <laughs> and that was the place that i'd be in the back through i remember the going through the beads and sitting waiting for uncle tom to lose or win whatever it was and i saw a lot about poker and then one day there was a fuffle and some shouting ran out and there was a guy at the bottom of the steps and that guy never got up again and so i i saw the remnants of my first um in inverted commas, murder, slash he fell down the stairs. Again, it was about the age of eight. Uh, and then, so unsurprisingly, I walked in one night when mother was screaming and my uncle Thomas trying to kill her, strangle her, and they'd had a row or, or or something had gone on, and me screaming, my you know, crying my eyes out, uh, seemed to prevent the whole thing going on. And he was, he went after that. So yeah, not, not the best. So I, there were some things, you know, just knew weren't right. A bit of an understatement, not the best. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm laughing because it's, but again, um, you know, there's little things around that time. There was a, a mother was a, a funny old creature. We lived at the top of a floor flat and there's a big fire escape at the back. And I had a, a, a cat, um, which I called uh, Satan. <laughs> it was black. <laughs> And this was fine. Again, when when people say um I, I don't do it anymore, but you know, they ask you what what was your first pet call? Because obviously that's one of our keywords. <laughs> yeah. But, so you can try this, but funny enough, I don't use it. It was your first pet was called Satan.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> it shows the sort of dark underworld that you were very living in, really. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but but in hindsight, it was a fluffy little black cat. But but the, the reason I mentioned the cat was it, it would often bring me bats because bats would fly around the firescape. Mm. gate. It would usually get their wings, and I'd wake up on with a bat on my pillow on more than one occasion. Uh, and mother being mother said I had to drown them, so I was made to put them in a tea towel and drown them when I was <laughs> still at school, which I, I I didn't really like doing that. you know, It felt oh. a bit weird, uh, but, yeah, it gives you an idea of... Um, of quite unusual circumstances yeah. uh yeah. Of, of that time of the life
0: but leads so, on a little bit doesn't it to um you know what happened with your mother and you know tell us a bit because your mother was drinking and what have you so tell us a little bit more oh, about your job.
2: that yeah so I, I as that sort of phase of the life um, went and she eventually met somebody else who became my stepfather um And that was a, he was a decent, he was an okay enough guy, you know, Um, but it was a very, again, tempestuous relationships, lots of screaming and shouting. And I think I was about 13 or 14 when I realized, because we'd moved to Manchester in the middle of all this, I mean, we could do a whole podcast about my time at school in Manchester, which was unbelievable. I mean, there was an arrest a week. It was more like a social club where people (laughs) got arrested
0: well that would be another um, interesting story so yeah we'll perhaps get you back on in some future episodes oh, to us all about that
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. M- matthew moss middle school in the 70s and <laughs> the madness that went on with the, and i'm talking oh yeah very dubious teachers um miss miss baldwin getting me in this in the uh, stock cupboard <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god oh yeah that was a that was a whole different thing it was just uh, i i can't wait to write the book i tell you anyway, yeah it's going to be good i yeah I, I
1: so suppose, I'd,
2: um
1: was it was it a, a school that their top G- gce was mugging
2: not far off on my first day so i'm in the dinner queue waiting to go in in into the dinner hall as you do and this guy came up to me john bennett was his name still remember it to this day and he said you're the new kid aren't you went, yeah and he punched me in the stomach sort of three million me in the floor about nothing personal mate i'm the cock of the year you need to know that i'm like oh, okay thanks
0: cheers <laughs>
2: <laughs> literally beaten up well i say beaten up you know punched and kicked on on the first day but that was that was the norm now what what's maybe interesting for the podcast is i left that school as the cock of the school in the third year oh really now, did I do this by being the best fighter and the most violent? No, nope. in all that time I had one fight. And I was so terrified. Kevin Taylor was his name. Again, the names just come to you, don't they? And I was so pet. i have been bullied and and sort of not, you say beaten up, but picked on so often, because I was always the new kid. And there was one day, in, and I was made to go in for this blooming fight behind the um uh the the sp- like the edge of the sports hall, like, a, again, the youth club area. And I've got to fight this guy. And he's a bit bigger than me. But I'm there's all my angst of, I reckon, about a good 18 months coming up. I said, are you ready? He's like, yeah, I'm ready. He's looking at his mates and he's getting the crowd going. I said, seriously, are you ready? Yeah. And I just went and walloped him with everything I had, split his nose open. He went down like a sack of potatoes. Everyone was like, oh, my God. And that was it. All of a sudden, my status was elevated from the bullied to the let's not touch him. It's all psychology. It's yeah, yeah. Whole, yeah. And and there was other stuff, as I say, which was really interesting. That I um oh, yeah, just some of the stuff that happened where you were seeing how people just their perception was different to any reality. So one fight in three years doesn't make you cock of a school. But because of the public stuff and the mess that was made of it, and then another incident, which, um, you know, another boy was, you know, I had to defend myself again, I was fighting for my life, to be honest. Um, and, and all of a sudden, you were elevated to this status. So, yeah, we've gone off, we've, you know, gone off attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but it was but an interesting,
1: time. I, I, yeah. I get that because I know you're a big guy, Marcus, and same here. I'm, you know, um quite stocky and if you were quiet and unassuming at school you were an ideal target for the well I I suppose the quasi bullies, you know the ones that oh he's soft let's you know and I've had similar experiences where you think you're 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 pooing your pants you know it's going to happen but you've got to do it and you just you know they make the mistake of thinking because you're a quiet character you you you're going to be soft but when you when you lash out you can be quite quite hurt it, it, you know you can hurt somebody and yeah. I'd say I've had I've had the experience a couple of times
2: yeah well I I was I was just so terrified on that day it was that I remember there's a song called coward of the county oh yeah uh, some years later by I think it was Kenny Rogers and there was all yes. this pent emotion came out and that was it because I've, I've been bullied at every school because I went from the school in Lisbon to one in Yorkshire very briefly. Um I was the new I was the new kid at two schools. So I don't I never went to a school for more than two years. So I was always the new kid, always getting picked on. And that one in Manchester was the so that would be my fourth school. I was only what third twelve when we went there or something like that. So, you know, I, I didn't have I just just went and that was it. I just had enough so um yeah anyway that that was part of me starting to think so i'm just going to turn something off. someone's trying to ring me and it's come through on here so um yeah so it was really interesting to see how people start to change their perception of me just a little bit um Anyway, back to what's maybe more useful for the, but but all of this is about making you. Am I? Yeah. Who am I? And what am yeah, I? On to my exactly. Job? Yeah, exactly. it's all
0: useful, but yeah, yeah. So, but we were yeah. talking, I think, about your so, mom but, and an incident. Yeah. And we were going to sh- oh. share an incident. Um. With yeah, you. the
2: alcoholic mother moment. Well, yeah. I I worked out she was an alcoholic, and she used to get bottles of uh, sorry tins of gold label, which is a oh. really strong thing, and she used to when I figured there was something not right she used to tie a little paper towel around them and leave them on the serving hatch so that my stepfather wouldn't see she was drinking them um you know I don't think he really missed it but it was her little pretense and she used to tell me these were tonics it was a tonic <laughs> she'd drink at nine o'clock in the morning or whatever time it was for breakfast and so when i come home from school you never knew which version if she was even at home you were going to get and depending how drunk she was and she was, often, she was so dramatic, very angry or sad, depending on the mood. And one day I came home and there was a big family tent in the kitchen. And she said, oh, can you move the tent and put it out of the back? And she was washing up at the time. And she was obviously um, nine sheets to the wind. And I said, yeah, yeah, okay. So I picked it up, but it was as big as I was. And I took a couple of steps and I dropped it. She took this to me uh, as me throwing it down in teenage angst and she turned around Ah, blah, 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 how dare you do that she had a carving knife in her hand at the time without thinking she just went and she threw it and it actually hit me not hit me sorry hit the door just by the side of me like a cartoon thing she went and I just looked and I was looking at this knife there and and she sort of knew she'd done something wrong but she didn't and and that was the day I thought this is this isn't great you know you know, had that been an, an inch, you know, just a couple mm. of inches or have you, God knows what the reaction would have been. Um, and I really knew there was definitely something seriously wrong, as if I didn't already, but it, it changed the dynamic. Um, but I I still, you know, how do you feel? You're told you must care for and, and like and love your mother. And mm. because yeah. you know. Oh, so, sure. And also because there was so much other stuff like that going on and the screaming, my my stepfather had periods of being a bit like John Clee's character when he was doing his whole head in his hands and oh and no and his legs could be up. He was a bit like that. However, my mother was enough to send anyone like that. So I kind of don't I don't feel, you know, I don't think he wasn't a bad guy at all. Um, so yeah, that was another thing which went in the bank of yeah, this is this is not great. And there've been all sorts of things over the years where Mother had, had, had done stuff which was really quite wrong and and borderline abuse. I say borderline wasn't borderline; it was abusive. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, now I'm just conscious of time. So, on the backdrop of all this, uh, I never knew my uh, father. Yeah. So he disappeared, gone when I was about eighteen months old. Um, and and there's maybe a relevant event that uh she my mother had always told me some strange stories about who this guy was never never really bad but every now and again she'd go oh yeah he's a really really bad man i'll tell you all about it one day and then as i got a bit older i'm thinking 15 16 she said oh yeah well your father killed someone you know what dropped the oh no no not well not really not really because she had this really awful habit of sowing a seed it's like people on on, you know, Facebook when they go, oh, can't believe it happened again.
0: Oh, I hate agree with that. <laughs> you know, I, I, just, I delete
2: them instantly if anyone there, and they want you <laughs> to go. And and she, but she, she, she sort of did this in life where she'd make a statement. I said, well, you can't leave it hanging there. Oh no, 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 you'll find out one day. Anyway, so so I'd had this weirdness from from mother about this good, bad, strange father. Anyway, I about the age of sixteen, I get a job in a. Uh, an upmarket kind of curries as in the electrical retail store called valancers. It was in a place in Harrogate and it was a great place to work because uh, I got to play the videos and TVs and video cameras as they were coming out and all this sort of stuff. And I was assigned a kind of a mentor slash manager, I guess you'd call him guy a few years older than me, really nice guy. And it turns out as we got to know each other, he would never talk about his mother. It's like a taboo subject. Um, I always remember the guy had really bad eczema all over his body. Suffered a lot with stress, but he was a lovely, lovely person. Anyway, maybe part of the bond and the relationship that we we got together was I'd never had a father, he'd never had a mother. Went out for beers, and over a couple of years, we became really, really good mates. We did CBing together when it first came out. Got CB radio. For God's sake. Of course. Um. Anyhow, fast forward to my 18th birthday. And my mother, in a usual dramatic fashion, presents me with a, an envelope with some newspaper paper cuttings about my my uh, father. And I open them up, and it starts to tell a few stories of stuff he got up to. Uh, but this one talks about how he'd run away the, about the time he left my mother with the wife of a local pub landlord. And they would kind of got a bit drunk, and they were driving up the A1. It was an awful crash. And the woman in the car was killed. So hence, my father being a murderer—it wasn't depends how you look at it, I guess—but someone was killed in the course of an accident, and horrific. As I continue to read, I start to see who the people involved were, and how this had happened across time and space. I've no idea, but the woman who was killed was none other than my new best friend and mentor's mother
0: oh that's yeah, incredible
2: man, that's... It's just mind-blowing i'm just yeah you sort of have to read it two or three times so like, what and eventually so i have to have the conversation with him and say god can you believe that you know having moved around all over the place and all the rest of it um i think my father was the person responsible for your mother's death and he reads and it's like oh my god now he knew obviously that i i always said i never met my father never knew who he was Genuinely never even met him from from the age. But there was an interesting dynamic about what happened. And, of course, everyone got to know about this. And So roughly about that sort of time, people start taking an interest in my life and my upbringing. And I start sharing stuff. I've given you three very small examples today. And people go, what? Are you kidding? And counsellors get involved and some very well-meaning people come along and start saying, oh my God, you've had such an abusive childhood. You must feel terrible. You must feel betrayed. You must feel abused. And my, I think, honest response was, well, you know what? This stuff has happened, but I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm quite a positive guy. I'm looking happy. Outlook, I'm going to go places in life. No, 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 said the well-meaning adults. You've been abused. You've had a terrible time. You must feel really bad about how life is treated to you and how your mother was to you. I went, really do you think i think i'm all right can't can't i just be happy and okay uh no 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 you must feel abused you must feel terrible you must so i bought into that Mm -hmm. i started to take on this mantle of the victim of the poor me and i became a very very angry young man at about what about that age and i wanted to then fight the world and if uh, I'd, I'd look for people who wanted to tell their stories about what a bad sad old time they've had and i go ha ha, nothing compared to my childhood let me tell you about the time of this and that and i always won the stories you know because no yeah. <laughs> yeah um and
0: and it quite a lot to beat really wasn't it <laughs>
2: Well, unless you were brought up in like a war zone, some, you know, the loads of people with far worse stories than I've had. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, there's a whole load of we just don't have time to talk about today. But yeah, I, I could. I, it was like a game of top Trumps for me. But what was important was I then taken on this victim. And, and even though I was doing OK, I was always getting in my own way. And I was very, very angry inside. And I didn't know why, because I was being successful. So I was in, you know, I was progressing my career a bit, and I do really, really well. But I wasn't often having great relationships—not great romantic relationships. They always seem to have trauma in them, you know. Ultimately, driven by me, I would imagine, or mm. that confusion. But I would—I'd attract a lot of people of a certain type, um, and and I didn't know at the time that I, I had this sort of ten-year period into my late twenties when I was. Trying of caught myself as this, you know, this, I can cope with anything, but all the time carrying around the anchor of what I'd had to cope with. If That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I would caught the image of a toy town Harman. That's why I looked like a bank robber or a bouncer, you know, and I, I could have created this look and I wasn't, when I was a kid, I wasn't that big, and, you know, as an adult, I was never actually hard or, or whatever. But I would create this hard exterior and hard projection so that I was safe from any anger.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like a shield but, in some ways, I, I think. Oh, that sounds what you're telling me. You know, I think we're often, as people, we create this shield around us in different ways to protect ourselves. And that sounds mm. like that was your protective mechanism. Am I right?
2: Massively. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: I, 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 yeah and, and also, created this ability to dismiss anything i would never really get too attached to anything
0: Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. and so stuff could happen i'll give you a a little story again just another snippet we lived in a little sort of townhouse for a while my cousin was coming to came over to stay the next door neighbor on the friday night had gone out had a massive row with his girlfriend and in uh, in in sort of drunken angst, threatened to slash his wrists and actually slashed his wrists. So he came round to my house. Go, oh my god, my god, I'm, I'm dying, I'm dying. I've slashed my wrist, blood pumping everywhere. I go, hang on a minute, I won't say his name. Hang on a minute, so and so, just stand outside. You're not coming in. I'll get some things. Yeah. It, we were just say I wasn't phased by it. I wasn't because of stuff. Yeah. My cousin sat in the background and what have you. So we get him all. Sort of wound up, what have you, uh, but bound up, called the ambulance. He wants me to go to the hospital, so I have to get a hospital with him, hold his hand, and pretty old, strange affair. Anyway, we deal with all that. He's looked after, I come back. and The next day, we're sort of sat around, and his girlfriend comes around and Oh my god, thanks so much for last night, that was terrible. Um, and she mentioned a shotgun, so I went straight in and got the shotgun out of the house, took it, rang the police, and what have you said, best come and get this anyway she's saying it's the little things in life isn't it that um you know he's got a haircut appointment at lunchtime And my cousin goes oh I need my haircutting. can I have that because he's part of the family nothing us. <laughs> very practical <laughs> and and as we're having this sort of conversation as well there's a, a shout from outside everything okay everything okay and I am the door and the postman sort of stood at the end of the path you're all right I'm like, yeah fine why what's wrong and he went And I hadn't seen the outside of the house. It was like the Valentine's Day map. No. All over the door, all over the window. Oh, Oh, Neighbor just tried to slash his wrist last night. It's all fine. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> as you do, as you do, as you well, do.
0: Though, we're just going to bring it to the end of um, part one, and we'll be back shortly in part two, where Marcus is going to tell us a little bit more. Well, about... we might be back
1: next week in part oh, two. Yeah, it might be. a long <laughs> uh,
0: How how he then sort of starts to change his life around.
1: If you enjoy listening to cold coffee podcasts and would love to support the program then head over to patreon at cold coffee podcasts and become a member this helps us to keep supporting the production
0: of the show and also 10% of all contributions go to our chosen charities Welcome to part two of Cold Coffee Podcast, where we are talking to Marcus all about his absolutely fascinating story. I mean, it's just been such so interesting. I think this is going to be a bit of a longer one today. In- incre- <laughs>
1: incredible would be the um... yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely incredible. So we're going to pick up the story now um, in terms of. How you started to turn things around, and that was a big turning point for you, really, wasn't there, in terms of your own health? So if we can pick it up from there, I think that's a really good start t- starting point for the second part. Yeah.
2: Okay, thank you. So all of this sort of angst started to build up, build up and I had to go somewhere. Uh um, roughly in when I was knocking on just for us 30 or 30-ish, uh, I I'd done all the stuff I thought was gonna make me happy in life. Earned loads of money, you know, houses, well, house, car, got rented out house. And was doing all right from the outside. But inside, I was carrying a lot of this anger around all the time. And eventually, my doctor, I, I used to feel exhausted and wiped out a lot, even though my outward persona, nobody really knew. And my doctor said, look, you're causing your own stress and your lifestyle is so bad if you don't change i'll give you 18 months to live and, and i'll never forget i was kind of when he was starting to tell me this uh, and he said you're you're chronically stressed i went i'm not stressed <laughs> <laughs> and, and he kind of looked down sort of had these spectacles and he looked at my little clenched fist as i went like that
0: <laughs>
2: okay fair point well made and he explained to me although i didn't really understand it at the time he said look when the way you're breathing, the way you're acting, as well as your, you know, overly healthy, um, not nowhere near healthy alcohol consumption. And this breathing is causing your body to produce toxins in your system. So you, your bloods, he said it's poison for a better word from every front. And that will eventually cause you to go pop, whether it's heart attack or stress or, or whatever. And I didn't really understand it. For honest, I used to think stress was for time wasters. You know, this is before we talked a lot about mental health and stress. Uh, and I and I was really quite angry, funnily enough. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wasn't sure what to do, but I listened. And my doctor got me to go and lie down uh, and think of a happy place and do some breathing exercises. He sent me to the uh, the practice psych psychologist i think it was as opposed to psychiatrist i wasn't fully bonkers Um, (laughs) and he was he was so forward thinking and he got me to do essentially some meditation and some breathing and although i thought it was all a bit californian nonsense I, i i went with it and it made me start to feel a lot better And I was really surprised about this whole thing about we created our own toxins and and being stressed. Mm. I thought, if I've got stress, I'm going to be the best at it. I'm going to learn all about stress. I've even became competitive about that. (laughs) And I eventually went to university for the first time, never been at the normal time uh, to study psychology and to try and learn more about myself and went on coaching courses and, um, really trying to understand the whole mind thing about who we are. And as I started to learn, I initially got even more stressed because I was, again, angry about, why are we not taught all this stuff? Because we create 100% of our own stress. And I remember the first time I was told that, I thought, how dare you? What stupid thing to say. I don't create traffic, traffic jams or, or train <laughs> breakdowns or all this sort of stuff. And of course, yeah, that's entirely true. We don't, but the way we oh, yeah, yeah. react to it or respond to it, as I later thought was found was a better word, were is completely within our control. Yeah. So I went on a very slow journey of discovery over the next few years, uh, and and realized started to reassess all sorts of as- aspects of my life about who I was, what I was for, what I really wanted out of life. Um, and eventually, I, I I got really confused if I am honest, the first part of my journey. wasn't great, where after a few years, I just kind of wanted to give everything up. It, it sort of took a year out of my life, almost, to uh, partly get drunk, partly learn some new skills, partly decide what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And in the middle of all that, there was leaving my, my then wife. There was leaving the industry I had, kind of partly selling, partly giving it all away. Um, and I also thought I had to almost dispose of all my worldly goods uh, because somehow having success was not compatible with being more spiritual and and living a happier, and more more holistic existence. Now, there's some truth in that, but, but actually I, I got it hugely wrong. And I was off trying to find other relationships. So... I had this, we'll call it a mad year. And, and the joke I have to paraphrase it is that I spent a year, I spent all my money that I'd ever earned on wine, women and song, and the rest I wasted. I George, a, George, George best, best, isn't it? Yeah, I think it was a George <laughs> Best quote. But it's kind of what I did. I just kind of, I, I let everything go. I just hadn't a clue who I was or what I wanted to be, even though I'd been shown the, the possibility of this other world of, of what you could do. So that was my full almost bottom line stress. And I ended up having nothing, not owing any money, I don't think, but uh, certainly only nothing. I ended up with no car, did a bit of toy time touring with the band and just was right. Where do I go from here? This whole not having anything and having no money and no purpose is even worse than what I had before. So I'd started to believe in that we create our own future. I started to believe in the power of the mind and the possibility of the universe gives you what you're asking for. And I'd asked it for a whole load of crap and it had provided admirably, you know, <laughs> it really had. Yeah, it, it, it did an excellent job. I had been really clear about what I wanted of confusion and anger and angst and the poor me and, and the universe you know, brought it and drove. So I, I I remember standing in my ex-wife's kitchen and saying, right, I I want a new life. I, I know that this stuff works. What I want to do is to be a better version of myself. I want to go out and help other people. I've actually got some skill sets. I mean, I, I've gone out and passed my captaincy degree as in qualified boat captain. E- even in the year I was off being an idiot, uh, I, I became a qualified boat captain licensed to carry hundred passengers up to three miles offshore. That wasn't completely wasted. But anyway, so I knew there was a lot of potential within me, but I had to change my mindset and I stood in the kitchen and I went, okay, universe, you provided everything I asked for, which was negative. Now I want, I want to get out there and change who I am. And what I need right now is one a job because I have no job and no income. I need a car because I had no transport whatsoever. And I'm going to go out as a consultant because there weren't really business coaches then. I want to go and help other people do well, which seemed weirdly hypocritical because I'm I, I'm on my ass. I have nothing. <laughs> you know, who am I to then okay, go out help from somewhere? Yeah. And I stood in the kitchen and I kind of did this uh, like, oh, right, like, come on, universe. And I was like pulling it in or projecting it out. It's hard to explain what I even thought I was doing. And. It was quite an emotional moment to do that. And then I thought, right, what practical things do I need to do now? And one of them was I had to uh, get some lights back that we have been using with the band. So these call called these park hands, big bars of lights. If you've ever been to see a band and what shine and, you know, you see them shining on all the bands. I remember ringing this friend of mine and he'd known that I'd been sort of a bit off the rails, but we have been in touch through the music. And I said, I'm really, really sorry, mate. I can't get these these lights back to you because I, I don't have any really transport right now. You know, I've, I've been on one. Um, he said, All oh, right, okay, uh, no problem. I, I'm Can to get them? And he said, Well, so what are you doing now? I said, Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a business consultant to help people turn their businesses around. I must try not to laugh. And he went, Brilliant! That'd be absolutely amazing. Could you help me with my business? And this guy was really successful, but there were you know things that he couldn't do as many people i said well, yeah i could but i'll need a salary and i haven't even got a car and he went oh no problem i've got a car sat in the driveway i never use so if i work out this package for you how much do you need and i gave him a figure and he went yeah okay can you, when can you start uh, sort of like you know um <laughs> what and literally within uh, it was minutes the universe or, or whatever you want to call it had provided me with a job and a car. And I remember coming off that phone call and I wept Mm. like I was a a child. It was just weird. And it slowly started me getting back into real life and saying, yeah, I can do this. and, And I kept having moments of then helping other people start to turn around what they were doing. And it was baby steps at first because I was I was still continuing doubting myself a lot because I was like, "Who are you? You've got nothing. You've you've got this little salary in this car, but that was enough to start me." And then I I I went on a journey of attracting what I wanted, not what I didn't want. Now yeah. I, I still I still you know would would often my, my old brain would still bring me a bit of negative, and I still would maybe drink too much for a while or. Or, or and I'd, I'd waft and wane, but I was on a different path. I knew it. I could feel it within me that I was absolutely capable. And after maybe a year or two of baby steps and being a bit uncertain, am I worthy? Because of the end of my marriage and my relationship with my children, so there was constant negativity going in. I had to really fight it out and almost go, "No, this is who I'm going to be. This is who I'm capable of." And I had this thing about I want to go to London and start again. Maybe there was some, you know, this thing, go to London, meet the queen. And then all of a sudden I meet someone who suggests we go to London.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, how, how unbelievable was that? And the turnaround from that moment of making the decision to, to leave the negativity that I partly created and partly lived amongst, because I was with a lot of negative drinkers and you know, that'd been my life for so long. I knew that part of my change was I need to change my whole friend set. Yeah, so yeah. I've I tried changing it within that group. I'll never forget. I, because I was the outrageous character, and I'd go off and do crazy things, and which I thought were great in terms of being the most drunk, get you know having wild liaisons with with many partners, and and everyone, or mainly the blokes, thought, oh hey, this is so exciting, aren't you the the boy, and all that nonsense. And then when I tried to move away from being this fake figure, uh, they didn't like it. And I remember yeah. going out one day in a certain pub, and everyone's going, "Okay, Tomo, Tomo was my nickname. What's all the stories? What have you been up to? What craziness?" I went, "Nothing. I've been drinking herbal tea and, uh, <laughs> and do some <laughs> meditating." And the that look must on their So well, <laughs> well, that was it. And one guy looked and he went, "I get my excitement from you." And he he was genuinely pondering and it was like he'd lost something. Mm. And it suddenly clicked that some of the people were living their part of their life through my madness or my sort of craziness. And it was a real eye opener. And and very shortly afterwards, all these friends just disappeared. Yeah. Because there was no longer the the crazy character. Um, And so, yeah, it was a real eye opener. And then I started to attract, once I'd made that decision, none of these friends of many years and my big drinking buddies and people i would known from school, what have you, guess how many kept in touch? None, none, pretty much none. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are about three people who kept in touch who were funny enough, not the, the drinkers and the, um, and the ones who used to be quite as crazy with me. But yeah, it was a real shift in in my mindset, you're right. Yeah, we're yeah. just
0: checking. I'm just checking. sorry, we're just checking out at having a quick microphone check because you know, as you do, because mine doesn't seem to be um lit. I, um, that's but, it. so well, hopefully, we've, we've now got <laughs> okay. it back on and it might be a bit of better sound going forwards, but anyway, yeah. you're doing you the sound, well. You one. sound perfect at this end, good. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you sound great, yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, it, it was it, it was a big thing. If you say to somebody, you've got to. You know, you might need to completely get rid of all the friends who are negative. Um, And and I was part of that. You know, you can't say I I just blame them, but it was time for me to change and move on. And so I went from being, you know, sometimes successful, sometimes not so in a very small town to um, creating and inviting this this best future. And I started off by getting a job on the boats in London, which I loved. And then I got this amazing coaching job where I had an office in Pall Mall at the same sort of time. And I just kept attracting better and better stuff into my life because I I was liking myself more, Mm. I was liking the people I was, and I was just revaluing and revaluing and, and believing and focusing on what, what I wanted until one of the, one of the the most fun things I did was I I was a, a director in the 2012 Olympics. Uh, I was the maritime operations director. Now it, it was the maddest thing in a way. So I never forget that. I, I went, I put my name down to drive one of the boats in the Olympics because that's what I wanted to do. But also I had a lot of knowledge about boats because I sailed since the age of I was eight and how it all works and getting them together. And I sent without thinking, although I probably was subconsciously, I just sent my full CV because I was going for any job I could get within yeah. the Olympics. Anyway, I get called along for an interview, and I thought it was for driving one of the boats. But I've got the suit on because I'm coming from my Palmal office. Um, and I'm invited into these rather nice surroundings with this group of gentlemen who start quizzing me about real logistics and strategic questions about how this area of the business, could be, the, the Olympic thing, could be run. Well, I'd just answer them all because I kind of knew the answers to all the questions. And I quickly realised that this wasn't to drive a boat. This was for something else. Uh, and what had been put in place had all fallen apart. All the, the people who had been involved with it, bar one, had just were not able to do the job. And with six months to go, they were trying to find somebody else. And that somebody else happened to be me. I got the gig uh, and I was privileged enough to be able to put together the biggest fleet in peacetime history and with minutes to spare, have it ready on the day against all odds because the barriers we hit were crazy, but then to become part of one of the greatest events this country's ever yeah. ever known. Well, that must be amazing. Um, that's amazing. And the,
1: and this turnaround in your life from the six year old in Belfast, the, the mother and then turning all this around um, with positivity is just fantastic.
0: I love it. I absolutely love your story. It's just amazing. And uh, where are you now? What are you, What are you doing now, Marcus?
2: Well, it, it's uh, we're only just beginning the next chapter. So we um, <laughs> uh, yeah, are building on that. Well, and um, we're probably
0: um, only halfway through the book. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. Well, I'm so excited.
2: I mean, I, I've been lucky enough over the last few years to coach individually in groups and um you know i i got to i do motivational speaking I, i've got to speak at national conferences i even got to go to karachi and be on stage with the prime minister and the president doing a talk on um how to bring positivity into peace peace talks you know uh, just these oh, joyous you. events just keep on coming and now yeah. i'm I'm putting together a platform, which is an alternative to Facebook. So it's just like Facebook, but it's only for positive people to share positive ideas and help other people. We're just launching. Oh, I
0: love that. I absolutely love that. I mean, that's what this podcast is all about as well. You know, it's about sharing these inspiring stories.
1: You, you've yeah. got a company and a website, haven't you, Marcus?
2: Yeah, so the, the, the main company is the Mindset Revolution. I've, I've still got my background on, I forgot. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we're creating this, this platform called Marvellous Mindsets, where people oh, no. can come along and and just share their positivity and be amongst other people and I'm also bringing a, a, a kind of a spirituality element into that because that was a that's been a big part of my life I'm, I'm not mm. religious as it happens but we have a a, a, a module of spirituality for want of a word which is non-religious and has no dogma in it to try and bring the whole um, mental health so it's the mind body and spirit if you like uh, is part of this whole journey and it's all based on we are what we think about the most so think marvellous thoughts yeah the more you you kind of saturate who you are you you kind of create the world from within that's that's what I learned all the negative is that, is that your earth. biggest
0: tip that you can give to our listeners today
2: uh, well yeah if you take one thing away from today you are what you think about the most yeah. so if you're thinking positive joyous what you can do that's what you'll manifest in your life if you're thinking what you can't do and how negative and where your shortcomings are. You'll get exactly then that's what you'll be presented with. It's yeah, nothing yeah. more true. That's
1: been part of my story. Not not thinking I was I was good enough, whatever that means. Um, and it took a long time to realise that I am good enough. And I was yeah. taught my my school taught me that. It, it knocked out factory fodder, it uh, knocked out laborers, and that was the big achievement, you know, and it takes a long time to get, when it's indoctrinated, it takes a long time to break away
0: from that. Yeah. It's a of thought as well, isn't it? So, you know, oh, it is. Change our whole process of how we think about things.
2: Yeah, well, I, I like what you use there, factory fodder. in In the <laughs> middle school, In Manchester, it was a question of which factory were you being trained to go and work in? Yeah. Two factories. And that was it. It wasn't what was your career going to be? It was which factory? Genuinely. Absolutely.
0: Mm. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. I just really, really enjoyed hearing your story today. And I know you have, too. I have.
1: And it's it's an eye opener. And I think you're really, really inspirational, Marcus. And as I say, it's the Mindset Revolution is the website.
2: Yeah, mindsetrevolution.co.uk. Um, but yeah, whether you know. I can't wait
0: for the new platform either. That's just. That, I really think that's amazing. brilliant. Well, it's in, yeah, that's mindsets.com,
2: which is in testing now. And it's genuinely the, the more you mix with positive people, the more positive yeah. you'll be. Yeah. And so. Absolutely. You know, i just wanted to create this Yeah, facebook started off with great intentions and it's become i believe quite a negative thing now yeah yes um, yeah so and that, I, and that
0: again is another story all by itself isn't it we could talk yeah. about the effects of social media on you know mental health and things for a long long time yeah. so thank you so much Absolutely. and thank you for everything that you're doing with that and that you're creating something you know from social media that sounds like it's going to be such a positive thing and i hope we're going to be invited on
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'll that would be good. You know. Any
0: any day, it's
2: it's that close to being ready to go. Oh, so, thanks. Really, can okay. wait. Well, I, I hope somebody finds some interest in this. And and uh, thank you so much for inviting
0: me on the podcast. We
1: did. We did.
0: <laughs> yes we did. And yeah, and no, thank you for coming on. Take care. And thank you to everyone for listening today. And I say thank you very much to Marcus. Take care, Marcus. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: You can follow our journey on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube at Cold Coffee Podcasts.